Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Candy. How's it going? It is going really good. You know, I saw a really good movie last night. What did you see? I saw The Adam Project. Have you heard of it? It just came out on Netflix yesterday. So today is March 12th. It was yesterday. It is a time travel movie. You know how much I love time travel. Yes. And it was very good. It was directed by Sean Levy, who has, he's Mm -hmm. directed the United Museum movies, had a little bit of, a little bit of involvement with Stranger Things, starring Ryan Reynolds and Mark Ruffalo and Jennifer Garner, who have reunited after 13 going on 30. What? Yeah. But they only had one scene together. But it was a very, very sweet scene. Okay. And the little kid actor who was playing a young Ryan Reynolds was fantastically cast. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. You know what? I will say that in a couple of the scenes, it really kind of teared me up. It had a very good message to it. I wouldn't say it's something that's like, wow, that was amazing. I'm going to watch it over and over again. But I'm very glad that I saw it. And mm-hmm. I thought the message was very good. And it touched me on an emotional level. Wow. So I recommend it. There huh. you go. And it ties in because I know what we're talking about today. <gasps> oh. And okay. the star of The Adam Project did a movie with the subject of our podcast today. Absolutely. Yeah, so there you go. Look at me making the tie-in. Right? Okay, well, it's funny because I was going to start by asking you something that seems so random, but Mm -hmm. follow me and we'll get there, I promise you. Okay. As I was driving over here, I was thinking, first of all, that sad seasonal affective disorder is real because here we are on March 12th, snowed last night. Yes. 25 degrees out, yes. but because it's beautiful and sunny, I was thinking how great I felt. I mean, it's real. Sad it is. is a real thing. Yes, it is. But I was also thinking, I am so thankful. Mm-hmm. In my lifetime, we've had the development, the creation of not only you know GPS starting with like Garmin's, but now my, my car has a navigational system, which is the most beautiful thing ever because we both know I'm very As geographically am challenged As am I. and I could not find my way anywhere without it. And so I wanted to ask you, uh-huh. what is something developed in your lifetime oh. that you're grateful for? Mm, developed in my lifetime. Okay. Let me think for a second. Let's see. I would guess, I don't know how you would quantify this. So I don't want to say like cell phones specifically, Mm -hmm. but whatever the technology is that makes it able for you and I to do this kind of thing. Mm, Yeah. So whatever that thing is, I mean, like, is it a cell phone? Is it just the advancement of electronics? But the ability for people, regular folk, to be able to make a film or to be able Mm. to do something, I would say that that's happened in my lifetime because when I, I didn't even have my first cell phone until I was 19. Mm -hmm. So that advancement of that kind of technology. Oh, that's such a great point. The internet of things. All right. Mm -hmm. Love that. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason I ask is because, as we both know, Mm -hmm. Betty White Mm -hmm. passed away just before her 100th birthday. Yes. Betty White is going to be the topic of our conversation today, guys. In fact, we were together. Do you remember when we learned the news? Did you remember that? 
what were we doing? Where were we? We were together. It was New Year's Eve. We had recorded our episodes, two episodes, and then we went to get lunch. That's right. And it was while we were at lunch that we saw the news. That was really sad. Mm -hmm. It was very sad. And we knew immediately that we wanted to do an episode about her. Mm -hmm. But with that huge uh, momentous occasion coming up of her 100th birthday, it made me think about all of the things that came into existence during the course of her lifetime. Yeah. And so I looked it up because I thought that would be an interesting opening just to get perspective about the span of time that this lady was so important in so many people's lives. Here are some of the things that Betty White was older than. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. She was older than McDonald's. Wow. She was older than M&M's. She was older than the ballpoint pen. Older than the trampoline. Scotch tape. Color television, penicillin. Wow. And yes, she was older than sliced bread. I was good. That was my next question. <laughs> That's exactly right. Betty so, White is the best thing since sliced bread. No, sliced bread is the best thing since, since Betty, Betty White. White. <laughs> yes. Yes. This episode, we both are fans. Mm-hmm. I know we both know that going into mm-hmm. this. What are what's something that stands out to you about Betty White? When you think about her, what's one of your your standout thoughts or memories well the first thing i think of is thank you for being a friend Mm -hmm. i watched the golden girls all the time like i watched it when it was on television not in reruns Mm -hmm. i loved that show and (laughs) i just i loved the humor i loved these women i loved everything about them and i even in my autograph collection that we've talked about a few times i have all four golden girls amazing i know and i i got the album out i was going to read to you what betty wrote to me she says Oh, I got to turn it right. It's a picture of her with a little shizu. And it says, To Ashley, wishing you the very happiest birthday all year long. Love, Betty White. Oh. But yeah, I think of the Mary Tyler Moore show mm-hmm. and her love of animals mm-hmm. and... yeah. Just that. I mean, but mostly the Golden Girls. Mm -hmm. Mostly that. That was my first exposure to her. And then once I knew about the Golden Girls and loved that, then I went back and saw the Mary Tyler Moore show. And she was a very different character on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yes. (laughs) I think the trivia with that is that she was actually supposed to play the Rue McClanahan character. And they, she was like, I've already done that. Let's swap. Mm -hmm. So her and Rue swapped those characters. Yeah. Yeah, that came up in my research. Mm-hmm. It was actually, I think, a producer or someone who suggested it to them. But I like yeah, it. I think of the proposal. Oh, I yeah. just adored her in that movie, and I remember thinking, "Wow, this lady is up in years at this point, mm-hmm. and look at how she could steal these scenes. Oh, look yeah. at her presence. I mean, you just couldn't help but adore her. And I did see her. Not, I, don't, I didn't see her in the original run of the show, but I saw her in so many of the Golden Girl reruns because my mom was a huge fan, and when I would go hang out with my mom it would be playing in the oh, background yeah. a lot yeah brian so. used to tease me if we went to hotel because i don't have cable anymore but if we went to hotel i always look for like the golden girls marathon <laughs> we just end up playing the golden girls on the hotel television another movie that she was really good in in her older years was lake placid did oh, you see her in no that? i did not see She's that movie. very very good in that okay well let's go ahead and start talking about betty from the beginning okay all right so betty marion white was born on january 17th 1922 in oak park illinois She was an only child. Her parents were her dad, Horace, who was a traveling salesman and an electrical engineer, and her mom, Tess Curtis White, who was a homemaker. Mm. Now, they moved to Los Angeles during 
the Great Depression. And one of the things that was mentioned in some of the resources was that she and her parents both always had a love of animals. In fact, there was a quote from Betty. She told People Magazine back in 1999 that at one point in their lives, they wound up with 26 dogs. Wow. Wow. Because of her love of nature and animals as a child, at one point, she dreamed of becoming a forest ranger, but she also had a very different interest or a writer. Those were her two options that she really talked about a lot. She could write in the forest. There there you go. (laughs) She could fulfill both dreams. But she fell in love with performing. At Beverly Hills High School, from which she graduated in 1939, she was in several of their productions, and she even wrote her class's graduation play in which she had the lead role. There you go, girl. Mm -hmm. And that inspired her to just skip college altogether. She wanted to focus on performing. Mm. Her performance happened mostly in radio. It's hard. I looked for several different places. I tried to pin down when it actually started, and I could not get a date. But what I did find was that apparently her very first radio job was saying one word, which was parquet (laughs) on the popular comedy, The Great Gildersleeve. Obviously, she was doing an advertisement. It was the margarine. And yeah, parquet was a sponsor for the show. So that was her first job. And then ultimately, she ended up getting a lot more radio gigs. She had small parts in 1940s radio shows like Blondie. And this is your FBI. And you know, she started getting called on to do a lot more of that. During World War II, she also served in the American Women's Voluntary Services. And she drove a PX truck delivering soap, toothpaste, and candy to soldiers who were manning these, they called it gun emplacements that the government had put in the hills of Santa Monica and Hollywood. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I had no idea about that. Let me ask you this. Do you know about her marriages? I know that she was married a few times, but Mm -hmm. that her last husband was the great love of her life. Right. Yes. I only knew about him. So I was a bit surprised to find out she had a couple of husbands Mm -hmm. before she got to, Yeah. yeah. Her first husband was a man named Dick Barker. He was a World War II pilot that she wed in 1945, but the marriage lasted less than a year. And I don't really know why. All I know is one article commented, quote, once he took her home to an Ohio chicken farm. Yikes. End quote. That seemed to be when it ended. Yeah. And I saw in another source that she just never even wanted to talk about him. Like in an autobiography, she was kind of like, that's enough of that. Oh. Yeah. So she didn't have a lot to say about that guy. Okay. All right. Chicken farm was not for her. She wouldn't have liked it here. No. Performer. She was a performer. (laughs) She was a performer. (laughs) She would have liked it here because you could have taken her over. That's true. I could have said you could see the chicken over there but yet we still have a podcast (laughs) yeah there you go betty you can have the best of both worlds (laughs) well toward the end of the war she became involved in the bliss hayden little theater which was run by two hollywood character actors leela bliss and harry hayden and it was designed specifically to give young people a chance to perform in front of an audience so her first performance there was in dear ruth a comedy about a girl who pretends to be her older sister her performance in that show was seen by a man named lane allen he was an actor turned agent and he encouraged Betty to pursue an acting career and they also ended up getting getting, uh, yep, getting involved in a little romance and they were married in 1947 but were divorced in 1949. Whoa, short. Two short ones. Mm-hmm. A couple different sources gave a reason for this. It, it sounds as though he really wanted Betty to stop working and focus on raising a family. He wanted a very traditional family uh-huh. unit and she was not interested. She chose her career over her husband. And in fact, I have a quote from her. He didn't want me to be in show business. When you have a calling, you have to follow it. So I made the choice 
blew the marriage, and I've never regretted it. Yeah, because he met her performing. Mm-hmm. What and did encouraged he her to pursue it. Yeah, yeah, he was an agent. He's helped her set it up. And he's like, no, I don't want you to do this. Right. No, you can't. No, you can't take that away. Yeah. Well, she broke into television the same year she got divorced, 1949, on a local talk show called Al Jarvis's Hollywood on Television. He was a DJ and Betty was his sidekick. They did that together for a while. And then when he left the show, she took over as the host. Okay. And this eventually paved the way for her first sitcom, which was a nationally syndicated show called Life with Elizabeth. Do you know about this? I just know that, that she was on this nationally syndicated show called Life with Elizabeth. That's that's the extent of it. Okay. Yeah, I just heard the title. Yeah. Well, it started in 1952 and it ran for two seasons. It ended in uh, 1955, a total of 65 episodes. That's pretty good. mm -hmm, Yeah, not bad, especially since they said it was low budget, minimal sets, but here may be what was the secret behind its success. It was very similar to I Love Lucy in Mm. that it was a series of domestic skits and Betty White played this character, this kind of goofy woman named Elizabeth, and her husband was this exasperated man named Alvin, who was played by the actor Del Moore. But here's the thing I, I was very surprised about. Betty not only acted in it, but she also produced it Mm. back in 1952 or 53. Good for her. Yeah. And it ended up earning her her first Emmy nomination. And according to a USA Today article, they said that this series solidified her position in TV business. And in 1955, she was dubbed the Mayor of Hollywood, which was an honorary position that used to be appointed by the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. That's a pretty big deal mm-hmm. for only having done radio so far, right? Well, this was television. Oh, this, this was is television. where they broke into this. Oh, was... Okay, Life with Elizabeth was television. Yes, it was. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Now, it's also very funny that she made her big break playing a domestic housewife, which is what her husband <laughs> yeah. wanted her to be. And she's like, no, I don't want to. No, I'll do it on TV. But she was a sassy housewife. That's right. I think. That's yeah, right. Even, yes. I'm going to pause for a second to mention have you had? a chance to watch the NBC special that aired. It was, they had created it in honor of her 100th birthday and then, of course, she passed and they they aired, I'm sure they modified it, but but they aired it anyway. I don't know if I've seen it or not. I'm going to say no, but I saw what PBS had. Okay. So I don't know if that was the same thing. I don't know. What did PBS have? It was just, it seemed like a retrospective where they were interviewing people about Mm -hmm. her, but they weren't talking about her as if she had already gone. So I don't know if this was something, something different. Different yeah. or what, but it was very late in her career because they had Valerie Bertinelli on there talking about mm-hmm. Hot in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So that was one of her last things that she had done. And they also talked about a dramatic role that she did. Mm. And I've not seen that film and I couldn't think of the title of it, but they said she was wonderful in this oh. purely dramatic and it was one of her older, one of her last films. Okay. It sounds similar to the show I saw. Mm-hmm. We had a large number of actors mm-hmm. that were sharing memories about her and we saw clips from some of her performances and even a few if I recall, they had a few clips from her from different times when she had tape recorded things. Yeah. But it was beautiful and it made you really think about her life and everything she had contributed. The scope of her life. Oh, yes. But I bring this up because we're talking about things that happened in 1953, 54, 55. Think about how long ago that was. I, I mean, she was still performing. Sometimes they'll have retired, but she was still acting. I think that's what's so unique about Betty White mm-hmm. is that she was still involved in show business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jay Leno was one of the people on this NBC special. He called her the first woman of television, mm-hmm. referencing these things. She's producing a show yeah. in 1955. And supposedly, one of the sources mentioned the statistic that 
when she started out here on television, there were maybe a thousand people who had TVs. Right. This is how long ago right. this was. I think she is as old as television. I think they had, I had heard something said that she is as old as the concept of television. Older than. Yeah. Older than. Absolutely. Because she was one of the first people on it. Mm-hmm. So through the 1950s, she also did another sitcom and she did an, a variety show that she produced herself. And this is where she drew a little praise and criticism for featuring a black tap dancer named Arthur Duncan as a regular, which was highly unusual at the time. This was one of the things, again, going back to that NBC special, Anthony Mackie was one of the actors who spoke about her. Yeah. And he specifically mentioned this. He he called out, offered a little praise for her having the gumption to stand up to the producers who asked her to take this black dancer, Arthur Duncan, off the show. And she said no. Yeah. She refused. Yeah. It reminds me of the Dick Van Dyke episode that we talked about mm-hmm. where they said no, they were going to have those actors on there. And that it was a decade before Petula Clark got in trouble mm-hmm. for having somebody on her show. I think it's great. Yeah. So that was, by the way, the Betty White show that we were just talking about. But none of these shows stayed on the air for very long. By the early 1960s, she was best known for being a freelance guest, especially on game shows. Yeah. And so this is where we had her appearing on To Tell the Truth. I've got a secret. The match game. What's my line? And then in 1961 is when Betty White appeared as a celebrity player on the daytime game show Password, which is where she met her future husband, Alan Ludden. Now, he was a widower with three children and apparently... Apparently they had chemistry, they clicked, but even though he proposed several times, she kept turning him down until finally she accepted on Easter of 1963. Yeah, I heard, I've heard a little bit about that. Apparently he would just see her every time he saw her, he would propose and she had a boyfriend and she's like, no. And then finally she kind of realized, oh, wait, I guess she got rid of the boyfriend. I'm not, I don't remember. And then he would propose for real. And she said no, because she didn't want to leave California to go to Mm. New York, which is where he was based, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then finally, yeah, like you said, they, they ended up getting married. And I think one of the quotes I heard from her later was that one of her biggest regrets is that she did not say yes sooner Mm. so she could have had more time with him. Oh, yeah, because, you know, that's something that was just coming in my notes was that she always referred to him after that as the love of her life. Like, Mm -hmm. that's how she would talk about him. That's Mm -hmm. how she thought of him. I have a quote from her. It says, the secret to our marriage was enthusiasm. When I knew Alan was coming home, I would freshen my makeup and put on a new blouse. I mean, she was excited to see him. That's sweet. She that love I think just ran hot the That's entire really sweet. yeah entire marriage. Unfortunately, he died of stomach cancer in 1981. They'd been married 18 years at that time. Uh, yeah. yeah, that makes sense of why she wanted more time with him. But again, 1981. Think about how long ago that was. Well, that was yeah. That's a long. I time was born with, in 1980. Yeah, oh, so well, as, yeah. as long ago as me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was during the time that she was married to Alan that she did her stint on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Ah, yes. Yeah. That ran from 1973 to 77. Okay. And you said you you saw her on that. Sue Ann? Is she Sue Ann? Sue Ann Nevins. Yes. She was, okay, to sum up her character, she's basically (laughs) Blanche from the Golden (laughs) Girls, but on this show instead. She was very, very flirty. Mm -hmm. That's the PG way, right, of describing her character? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) In the research, let's see, they called her um, Man Hungry, a Mm -hmm. sex pot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they used several terms. She was not Rose Nyland. She was not Rose Nyland. She was not. Betty was actually over 50 years old. She'd already been on TV a long time when she first appeared on the Mary Tyler Moore show. But this is what took her career to a new level. I love this little quote from a New York 
Times article, so I'm just going to read it as is. It says, The character introduced in the show's fourth season was conceived as cloying, calculating, and predatory. Her deviousness always accompanied by a charming smile. Mm -hmm. The producers wanted a, quote, Betty White type to play the role, but they did not immediately ask Miss White because she and Miss Moore were close friends, and the producers were afraid that there would be damage to the friendship if she didn't get the role or didn't want it. It's acting. Oh, they're saying if she didn't get the role or didn't Mm -hmm. want it, that, okay, I thought they were going to be scared, like, oh, Mary's going to believe this. (laughs) Oh, my god. No, that wasn't the problem. It says, they went through about 12 people and couldn't find anybody sickening enough. That's actually what (laughs) Betty said (laughs) in a Modern Maturity magazine article. She says, so they called me. That's funny. So not only did they have this, I don't know, conflict over whether or not to get her to to come out for this role to begin with, but it was actually only supposed to be a one-time gig. Really? That happens a lot. Mm -hmm. And then people just love her or love the character so much they bring them back. Yeah. Mary Tyler Moore actually had a little clip that they showed on this special. And Uh we heard from Mary Tyler Moore herself that, you know, she talked about Betty was added after Valerie Harper had moved on to do her own show. Okay, that's why. Okay. Mm -hmm. And she said that when Betty came on, they just had to bring her back because she was just so good and so inventive. And so, as you said, Sue Ann Nevins was this character who was just so fun because she put on this little innocent front. Oh, yes. But she was so salty and so saucy. She was supposed to be the station, the new station's happy homemaker. But she was all about men. And just to give you a little flavor of her character, here's just one line from the show. Somebody asks her how she's feeling and the character Sue Ann replies cheerfully, I didn't sleep a wink all night. I feel wonderful. Oh no, Sue Ann. (laughs) (laughs) So Blanche. So yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, of course, the show Mary Tyler Moore was critically acclaimed, and it landed Betty White her first Emmy win in 1975 for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series, and then she won the same award again the next year in 1976. Good job, Betty. Before we go on to the Golden Girls, do you think we should pause here for a quick break? Let's do it. Hey there, I'm Lori. And I'm Chad. We're from Kentucky, but today we're here in the heart of Charleston with Tommy Dew. We decided to visit Charleston and book a tour with him after listening to his interview on Scandal Water Podcast. And Candy and Ashley were right. Tommy does not disappoint. I really love the history that he brought about that we wouldn't have known if we tried this on our own. This is Tommy Dew. If you're going to be in Charleston, please look me up. I love my visitors, and one of the great joys in life for me is to expose them to the city of Charleston. There is so much here. It is mind-boggling for tourists. Keep listening to Scandal Water and tune in to Candy and Ashley. They are committed to the arts and how the arts are interwoven in our history. The history tea here is delicious. And we're back, ready to talk about the Golden Girls. Yes, so during the break, I played for Candy (laughs) the gospel remix of the Golden Girls theme song. And what did you think? Oh my gosh, amazing. (laughs) so good. I've never seen that. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. It makes me so happy. How could, I mean, you can't watch it and not like smile. Yes, it was really amazing. All right, well, the Golden Girls aired in 1985. And as everybody knows, it starred B. Arthur, Rue McClanahan, Estelle Getty, and Betty White Mm -hmm. as Rose Nyland. 
Island, which I think everybody agrees that is Betty White's most notable role, yes. even over the Mary Tyler Moore yes. show and yes. you know, all these others. And of course, we all know it's about the friendship between these four older women who live in Miami, live together in right. Miami, I should right. say. And Tina Fey pointed out the exact same thing that you talked about earlier on this little NBC special. She talked about the fact that Rose Nyland was the polar opposite character from Sue Ann Nevins. Mm-hmm. Rose is more the innocent yes. fool, for lack yes. of a better world, yes. where Saint Ol- Sue Ann was Olaf. cunning yes. and like devious. But and- it really shows the breadth of, mm-hmm. of her talent, of Betty's talent, that she's able to play these two characters so convincingly that mm-hmm. she is both of them. Right. Yes, and you just adore her yeah. and believe her as both. As you had already said, they did offer the role of Rose to Rue McClanahan. Betty was asked to play Blanche. I found it in my notes here. It was the pilot director, Jay Sandrich, who suggested they switch okay. because they had both played similar roles in the past and he thought it would be more fun oh, for them to mix it up. Okay, because Blanche was, or uh, uh, Rue McClanahan was on Mama's Family. So was she that kind of character on Mama's Family? I, I didn't wa- watch that. I didn't watch that one as yeah. much either. I'm not sure. Sure, but it sounds like, yeah, maybe Possibly. She, she'd had some kind of innocent yeah. roles before. But the show won two Primetime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Comedy Series three Golden Globe Awards for Best Television Series, and Betty won her second Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series. Cool. Yeah, so, I mean, they brought it home. After the Golden Girls ended its seven-year run in 1992, did you watch the, the remake, the spinoff that they did called The Golden Palace? No. Yeah? I didn't know it existed. Really? I did not. Yeah, it was B. Arthur, I think, who wanted to leave the show, so the other three went on... <gasps> And had this. That's why they ended it the way they did then, because they had the ending. I remember they had B remarry her mm-hmm. husband and she moved out, but the other three stayed yes. in the house. And I thought, that's so sad. But that's why, I guess. She yeah, just they were to setting the it up oh, for the spinoff, okay. but it didn't do well. I remember watching like an episode or two and it just. It I think did you just needed all the four of them. Mm-mm, yeah. And I don't yeah. think B got along with all of them real well. We're going to come back to that okay. later because okay. I have some interesting tidbits okay. to share about that. That, some real tea? I, uh, a little bit, <laughs> okay, yeah. Some so, spilled tea. But I, I was going to save that Okay, for let's later. save her the tea. Yeah. But no, I think she was done. I think B okay. was ready and the other... The other ladies were like, hey, we're, we're, we can go on with this. Yeah. It just didn't. It, it didn't wasn't work. a good premise. Okay. Yeah. So um, that spinoff did not last long. It went off the air pretty quickly. But Betty kept working. Mm-hmm. She did a ton of guest appearances, which, by the way, she did throughout her entire career. Yeah. I mean, even back in the 70s, she was on the Sonny and Cher show. I mean, like, she was doing appearances all the time. She was the on time. the Carol Burnett show yeah. a bunch, too. Right. Yeah. Right. But at this time, she was doing things like guest spots on Allie McBeal, the 70s. Show, Boston Legal, Community, tons of other series. From 2006 to 2009, she had a recurring role on the daytime soap opera The Bold and the Beautiful. Did you know that? Did I know that? 2006 to 2009. I would have known that because that's when I worked at the studio and we watched The Bold and Beautiful. So I would have known that, and I guess I've just forgotten it. I know that the lady that was the mom on The Wonder Years was also on The Bold and Beautiful Hmm. for many years. Really? She might still be. Well, and then, of course, around the same time, as we've already mentioned, she was in The Proposal. That was a 2009 Mm. show. Oh, yeah. And then there was a movie I did not see called You Again in 2010. 
I don't know if I've seen that. That sounds familiar. But Lake Placid probably would have been around uh, that time, yeah. too. Well, and then this had gotten past me as well. I did not know this little backstory. It was in 2010, when she was 87 years old, that she had kind of this huge resurgence in popularity. And she made a big point. She was like, nobody should call this a comeback because I never went away. (laughs) She's like, I've been working this whole time. We cannot call this a, a comeback. But... After being in the proposal, and then she starred in a Snickers commercial during the Super yes. Bowl. Yes. Do you do you know what I'm talking about? There was this whole you're campaign. You're not you if you're hungry. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I remember that. I can't believe that was so long ago. Where has time gone? Right. But it sparked this whole campaign. I think for her to host SNL. Yes. Yeah. I think it was like maybe a teenager or some somebody young who was behind this. I don't know those details, guys. But I know that it was like kind of this public driven thing. Mm-hmm. They wanted her to host SNL and I mean everybody got on board and she and, did and she did it was May 8th 2010 the Mother's Day show <laughs> that she appeared on SNL she was the oldest person ever to host that late night comedy she was 88 she appeared in every single skit over 12 million viewers tuned in and she won an Emmy for her work hosting that Betty. episode it was the category of outstanding guest actress in a comedy series and that was her last Emmy. 88. Yes. You guys don't ever say age is a barrier. Right? Don't ever say it. Yeah. Well, it was that same year that then she returned to primetime TV in, as we've already mentioned, Hot in Cleveland. And wasn't that supposed to be just a guest appearance? Absolutely. It was a one-time guest role, but the producers loved her and immediately offered her a full-time spot. Mm-mm-mm. She ended up winning an Emmy nomination. She, I didn't watch that, but it said she played a feisty caretaker. Did you watch that one? No, because I did not get that channel. I think it was on AMC or something like that. But I've seen on YouTube, they have outtakes. Mm, so I've yeah. seen her outtakes and they're very funny. I'm sure she was great. Yeah. yeah it ran for six seasons. It must have done really well. But and they was... pointed out that the girls, I think the girls in Hot in Cleveland were the same age as the girls from the Golden Girls when they started. Oh. So it was just the way, like, you know how the way Betty and their, mm-hmm. their characters dressed in the 80s. And then you have the women in the more modern times and how they look so much younger, but like they were the same age. Oh, that is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Also, I think times have changed and you know they say that the 50s are the new 40s i mean yeah you know I let's mean, hope yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm going for <laughs> In 2011, she published two books. The first, If You Ask Me, and of course you won't, <laughs> was a collection of essays and stories about her life and career. And the second one was called Betty and Friends, My Life at the Zoo. And Aww, this is where animals. we're going to kind of talk a little okay. bit more about her love of animals and her longtime association with the Los Angeles Zoo. Her passion was always for animal welfare. In fact, her fan club, Bets Pets, their dues go to animal rescue charities. Her heart has been so big always for animals mm-hmm. and people have recognized it that mm-hmm. that's why you remember when she passed away, there was their huge campaign on yeah. her birthday to donate money. Donate. Because she never had children, right? No, she never yeah. had her own children. She helped Alan Dunn raise his, okay. but she didn't have biological children of her own. She loved animals so much that her first production company, Bandy Productions, was named after her Pekingese bandit. Mm. And even as far back as 1971, Betty had hosted a show called The Pet Set, and it featured celebrities and their pets. And she started working with the zoo back in 1971 as well. And she worked with zoos off and on her entire life. That's cool. I mean, and I'm not 
positive. It started in 71. That was just the earliest reference that I you saw. Find. Yeah, okay. exactly. She received an honorary park ranger title at 88 years of age. There you go, Betty. You got it. You're the yeah, forest ranger. She did. She did. <laughs> and, and it was so sweet because she said that her parents would just love that. Aww. Her quote was, they would be more proud of this than any other award I've won. Aww. Yeah. And another quote, something she said once in a TV guide interview, I'm the luckiest person in the world. My life is divided in absolute half. Half animals, half show business. Mm. I have to stay in show business to pay for my animal Aww. world. <laughs> yeah. To kind of go back into our timeline, in May 2012... She debuted the NBC comedy reality show, Betty White's Off Their Rockers, which was kind of like, <laughs> um, they called it a geriatric version of punk oh, It was gosh. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It was a hidden camera show where older people played pranks on younger people. It oh, did I was going to say, yeah. I thought it was going to be younger people playing pranks on older people, and no. that's real bad. No, no, no. No, <laughs> no, 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 yeah. no. Not cool. Not cool, Betty. Betty was actually an executive producer, but it went off the air pretty quickly, 2013. And in 2013, 2018, she received an award. She was the Guinness World Records person for having the longest TV career for an entertainer that was female. It said on the site, in a career stretching more than 79 years, wow. she has worked on TV, radio, and stage and appeared in more than 15 movies. 15 movies. Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Her awards and achievements. She has won five primetime Emmys and one competitive daytime Emmy, a Lifetime Achievement Daytime Emmy in 2015, and a Los Angeles Regional Emmy in 1952. In a television career that spans seven decades, she... Seven decades. Right. Again, as we just said, was in the 2014 edition of the Guinness World Records, certified as the longest ever career for a female entertainer. She was inducted into the Television Academy Hall of Fame in 1995 and received a Lifetime Achievement Award by the Screen Actors Guild in 2010. And this isn't like an award you receive, but in that NBC special, Joel McHale of, Mm -hmm. I think, what is it, Community? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He mentioned how rare it is for an actor to star in three very successful TV shows across so many different decades. Yeah, I guess he's saying Mary Tyler Moore show, Golden Girls, and then Hot in Cleveland? Yes, exactly. Of course, as we know, she passed away on December 31st. 2021 at age 99 Mm -hmm. and according to her death certificate she died due to a cerebrovascular accident which is basically a stroke Mm. it's loss of blood flow to part of the brain and the death certificate stated that she'd suffered a stroke six days before her death Mm. so that's what led to it her agent and friend this fellow named jeff witches said in a statement i will miss her terribly and so will the animal world that she loves so Mm. much i don't think betty ever feared passing because she always wanted to be with her most beloved husband, Alan Ludden. Mm. She believed she would be with him again. Mm -hmm. And in a video that was posted by her team on Instagram a few days after her death, there was a clip where Betty expressed her gratitude to her loyal fan base. And she said, quote, I just want to thank you all for your love and support over the years. Thank you so much and stick around. And as we said, of course, all those loyal fans came out for her big time on her birthday, January 17th, 2022. And there was this huge outpouring of donations for her animal cause. That's amazing. Yeah. So the conflict... Oh, yes. Okay. The conflict. I know. We're both like wiping, like kind of getting teary-eyed. But after...
after she passed in the news. Did you see that there were reports about ugly comments and this tension between Golden Girls characters? And I'm going to tell you that it like kind of broke my heart when I just heard that headline. I was like, oh no, please don't tell me that there was tension and ugliness between them. I had heard it before she died. I had not. Okay. You had heard. Do you want to share with us what you heard? I'm going to get it wrong. Okay. But I think... B was not a fan of her process, maybe. It was something around B. Arthur, mm-hmm. who just, they just, and I think Betty kind of blew it off. Like, we just had different ways of acting, and she didn't like my way, and she just was kind of more magnanimous about it then. And I don't remember. That's literally, that's the depth of my knowledge, is that something was up, and... It was based around B. Well, by the way, Betty was the last surviving member. Right. The others had all passed away prior to her. But what it revealed when I did a little digging into this tension that I heard about was I found, first of all, a quote that Betty had given talking about the loss of Rue McClanahan. Mm -hmm. And it said, here was the actual quote. Just recently, my beloved Rue McClanahan has been very hard to take. When you work so closely together for so long and are blessed with such success, you wind up locked at the heart. Mm, I like that. I love that. And I thought, okay, there's no tension there. No, like no, that, no. That sounds Mm-mm. very loving. Yes. So I was like, okay, so what is going on? So Rue, not it. Not it. So here's what I found out. It really was this conflict between Betty and B. Mm-hmm. And B's eldest son actually gave a lot of this information. He gave a lot of the insights in an interview that he did with Closer. Here's some of what came out. He said, My mom unknowingly carried the attitude that it was fun to have somebody to be angry at. And Betty White became her nemesis, Mm. the person she could roll her eyes about. And so Betty had told someone in an interview that B was not fond of her. She said, quote, she found me a pain in the neck sometimes. It was my positive attitude. And that made B mad sometimes. Sometimes if I was happy, she'd be furious. Yeah, yeah. And so the son, B's son again, to kind of add more, he would talk about, and you're right, it it was some things about the process. He would talk about how Betty would go out and she would smile and she would chat with the audience and she would literally go make friends with the audience is how he put it. And he says that was nice. You know, a lot of those people had come from all over the country. They were fans. He, by the way, his name is Matthew Sachs. He said, that's great. But he says, I think my mom didn't dig that. It's more about being focused or conserving your energy. Mm -hmm. It's just not the right time to talk to fans between takes. Mm. Betty was able to do it and it didn't seem to affect her, but it rubbed my mom the wrong way. And so both Rue McClanahan and Betty White had recalled at different times that B. Arthur was really big on following the discipline that she had learned in the theater. Mm-hmm. And she thought... Don't break sh- character. Don't break character. Don't break the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. You don't chat with the audience. Between takes, you're supposed to stay, you know, stay totally focused. And it said that Rue could see both sides of it. Yeah, she understood yeah. the training, but she also saw... The value. Where, mm-hmm, and she eventually started joining Betty White every oh. now and then to greet the audience and to chat too. So again, because B. Arthur had spent some of her early years on Broadway and Betty was a little bit more of the talk show star. Right, she right. was the the very approachable person. That was another thing. They speculated that B felt a little bit superior to Betty in terms of the training. And, gotcha. and yeah, Jim Colucci was the author of Golden Girls Forever, an unauthorized biography. And he speculated that another thing that might have added to the tension was that that the show's writers started to do what he called 
Dorothy bashing. And he said that this was a thing that he noticed where, for laughs, they started making fun of Dorothy's character. And he, they would call her big. They would call her ugly. Oh, I don't like that. No. And he said that it really would get to be Arthur because when they would make jokes at Rose, the character Rose, or the character Blanche's expense, those were characters. Uh, Betty yeah. White was very intelligent. They're making fun of Rose not, you know, being a little dull. You know, in real life, Rue McClanahan, who played Blanche, was not a promiscuous person. So if you're making fun of... Right. They are very removed from these characters but they're playing. But if you're calling her big and ugly, that that's, that's talking about her physicality not her character yeah Yeah. that's not cool i don't like that so those are three speculations here's one more thing that people said they believe to to possibly have contributed to this rift between the actors all four stars of the golden girls did eventually win an emmy but oftentimes they were competing with each other so there's tension there and betty was the first one to win the award okay she won outstanding lead actress in a comedy series back in 1986 and according to rue mcclanahan's 2007 memoir, which was called My First Five Husbands and the Ones Who Got Away. (laughs) Great title. (laughs) She said that B. Arthur was angry when Betty White won and reportedly called her a word. And then an e-online article talked more about Rue McClanahan giving some statements. And supposedly Rue had said it was awkward to be pitted against one another year after year and that she sensed B. Arthur was upset about losing Mm -hmm. to Betty White and then the next year losing to Rue and... Was she the last one to win? Because you haven't mentioned Estelle in any of this. Well, I don't know the order, so I'm not okay. sure if B okay. was the last to win, but obviously she wasn't didn't one of the win first two. She yeah. didn't win fast yeah. enough. Yeah. Again, going back to be son. I think he thinks people are blowing out, out of proportion. proportion this idea of there being tension. Mm-hmm. Honestly, what he said was that his mom was just kind of a standoffish person. She was introverted. She wasn't very close to people. Mm-hmm. And in the 2000, the same 2015 interview that I've been quoting from, he said, I'm not saying she was a loner, but she just liked to go home and read the paper. Yeah. So she just wasn't close yeah. to them. I'm really not. It doesn't affect my enjoyment of the show. I think it feels like being was a little bit closer to Dorothy's personality than maybe Betty was. Of course, Betty was nothing mm-hmm, like Rose right. and Rue was nothing like, I don't know if Estelle was like uh, Sophia or not. I don't know. But it sounds like Dorothy Borg was very mm-hmm. similar yes. to B. And it sounds just like the processes. I can see both sides of it. Like mm-hmm. like Rue said, I can see where it would be annoying if you need to be a method actor and if you need to stay in character for your, uh, your co-stars to be over there just chatting it up and you can hear them chatting it up. It's like, why can't you guys just focus and maybe she felt like it delayed the filming who knows I think a compromise probably could have been for the creator of the show to go I know you want to greet the audience let's do greetings before and let's do greetings at the end of filming Mm -hmm. so that it's more of a compromise and everybody can have what they need like and I can also see where Betty needs to be the audience interaction that's just who she is Mm -hmm. she's just very approachable she's done the game shows done the radio so she's just used to this and she can probably turn it off and on but B just couldn't. So. Yeah, I didn't put this in my notes, but something else that I read when I was researching was that I think it's kind of sad because in the beginning, it sounded as though Betty and B started out being a little mm-hmm. tight. And mm-hmm. it, there was even, as I recall, some kind of quote about how B, in the early days, if they would go to lunch, if somebody invited her to lunch, she would say, well, Betty has to come too. Yeah. And then it sounds like they just... This, drifted apart. Yeah, they drifted apart. Well, they started driving her crazy and she mm-hmm. annoyed her or whatever the case yeah, may be. Yeah, and the writers weren't helping it by right, adding exactly. in that stuff. And so Sometimes what happens, 
happens if you get a beloved character and sometimes the fool is the beloved character Mm -hmm. and they start we've talked I think we've talked about this before they'll start focusing more on the fool and making the focus of the episodes more on the fool and that's not what they're supposed to be they're supposed to be the flavoring they're not supposed to be the main course and I think probably Dorothy was more of our main serious she's the straight man and Rose is the uh, the fool and they started siding with her more because she was getting the laughs or you know Blanche was getting the laughs and she just kind of fell to the side yeah I mean now that you say that it mentions something in my notes about B originally being the one who had the biggest paycheck mm-hmm. and probably was the one because who was supposed the to be the, yeah she was supposed to be the biggest star yeah. and if you think about even the premise of the show she's supposed to be living there taking care of her mother and right. then the friends move in so right. you would kind of see them as being the central relationship right. right and so probably watching the focus go other places mm-hmm. somebody these other two ladies win awards before she does you know which that's okay. I mean that's just the way it, that's just the way oh, of it course. shakes out you're gonna pick the fun people before you pick the straight man always gets the short end of the stick because there you have to have the straight man for the fool to do their job so I don't know I can I can see her side of it I can also see the other two ladies and I think the people who created the show could have stepped in and fixed a lot of this but maybe mm-hmm. the maybe the tension worked for them because they thought well we'll just make this part of the show yeah it's just sad you should be happy for your friends armchair psychologist so the question i wanted to ask you Mm -hmm. we've said numerous times that betty has won awards that she has been a star who has crossed decades of television she's been so beloved by the audience that they've had a campaign to get her on snl my question why you know there are people whose stardom burns out within 10 years 15 years 20 years how did she stay on on top, so beloved, so popular for nearly eight decades. Well, the first thing that came to my mind is I think she answered that question herself when she said it was her calling. Mm -hmm. She said that when her, I think you said it was her second husband, wanted her to move away and not Mm -hmm. do this. And she said, when you have a calling, Mm -hmm. you stick with your calling. And if you're called to something, then I think you have that kind of success. I think it's just you follow what you're supposed to do. And and because you followed what you are supposed to do, that success is going to come to you. Mm -hmm. And it just did. And she was perfect. Yes. Yes. She had a charming, personable, lovely personality. And I think she was able to give her entire self Mm -hmm. to this Mm -hmm. where I am not, um, I'm not judging people who have children and do this. That's not what I'm, I don't know how to say this the right way, but she didn't have kids other than her stepchildren. So this was everything. She, she did not have divided affections or divided attention. She was able to give all of her energy to this and her animals. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you know what? With losing her husband, what, Even 40 that. years ago? Like yeah. she probably, she had more time on yeah. her hands. She mm-hmm. had nothing but time. And she had the ability to just make this career her entire life. Mm-hmm. I had saved this quote because I knew, you know, obviously I knew the question I was going to ask yeah. you. So I was thinking about what I, what would I say? And I agree with you that... That I think a huge portion of it was you just couldn't help liking this woman. Mm-hmm. Everybody, nobody mm-hmm. could help liking this woman. And she had said at one point, this is a quote, I don't remember the source, but she said that 
Being a cockeyed optimist was the key to her upbeat nature. She says, I got it from my mom and that never changed. I always find the positive. Mm -hmm. And I think even the story we were just talking about, her out there greeting fans between shows, she couldn't help herself. Like she's going to be that warm person. She's definitely an extrovert. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. And it was cute. You said this earlier in the episode. She was such a flirt. Yes. Like they, they talked about it. Even I think it was Anthony Mackie in the NBC special talked about how she like came up and like took her hand and kind of touched the side of his face and he was like what is she doing here she is flirting with me I think she's hitting on me and you know it was so cute yeah but she was just a flirt yeah but she also going back to the she had no siblings she Mm -hmm. was the only child so Mm -hmm. this is again her entire life was show business yeah. And show business started with her. Yeah. What, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, I thought it would be fun before we wrap this up, if you're okay with it. Sure. I, well, I don't know what it is. But. Pulled a few <laughs> of her best quotes. This is from People Magazine. Okay. And so I'm just going to have you read these different quotes from different times in her life. Okay. They're right there at the top. Do you want me to say who it was to? Yeah. Okay, so to David Letterman, she said, Get at least eight hours of beauty sleep a night. Nine if you're ugly. On The Insider, she said, My answer to anything under the sun, like, what have you not done in the business that you've always wanted to do, is Robert Redford. (laughs) I've heard that one before. This is an interview with Entertainment Tonight, and she said, I love children. The only problem with children, they grow up to be people. And I just like animals better than people. It's that simple. She said, uh, from her 2010 opening monologue on Saturday Night Live, she said, I didn't know what Facebook was. And now that I do know what it is, it sounds like a huge waste of time. At my age, if I want to connect with old friends, I need an Ouija board. In my day, seeing pictures of people's vacations was considered a punishment. (laughs) A Ouija board. Mm. To people, she said, men are a hobby of mine. They might not know it, though. That might be the last one. That's cute. Oh, Betty. So one last quote. You just read us a bunch of... Funny quotes. Funny quotes. But she was interviewed on Inside the Actor's Studio, and she was asked what she would like to hear God say to her when she arrives in heaven. And she said, come on in, Betty. Here's Alan. So I thought, as we cheers Betty on her way out, cheers to you, Betty. We hope you and Alan are together right now, smiling down on all of us. To Betty White. Thank Thank you you for for being being our our friend. friend. (laughs) Yes. Cheers. Cheers. This episode of Scandal Water was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams, while our website was developed by Joshua Reith. If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the Scandal Water brewing, please go to our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Just click on your podcatcher of choice, then hit follow to subscribe. And while you're there, you might as well leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget, it's always more fun when you share your tea with others. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests advertisers or clearly professional psychologists thanks for listening